Welcome back to another Shots from the Winchester podcast presented by Greencastle. Today, we have a very special guest, Joe Crandall, the CEO of Greencastle or the HMFIC. Um, look that abbreviation up. <laughs> Joe, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Well, we're in the Winchester. We yep. usually start with a shot. So um, what is this mystery liquid we're doing a shot of? Well, so this was a gift from Alan Van Son before he went off to go jump out of airplanes. And uh, I have no idea what's in it, so we will just go with uh, this. This. Okay. All right. Cheers, Cheers. to Greencastle. I'm not sure what that was. It's whiskey of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to know all about you, so we're going to dive in here. All right. <laughs> so let's start with your military background. Um, tell us, you know, when you got started, when you w went in, and then, you know, if you want to hit some high points. Sure. Uh, I actually enlisted when I was 17. I needed my parents' permission, and uh, I signed up for eight years initially in the Navy, uh, not not realizing that it was a true eight years. You know, I figured the Navy wouldn't count, but they did. And uh, after a, uh, I went in as a, an electronics technician. Uh, after a few years of doing that, I decided I wanted to, to try something a little bit bigger and bolder and uh, applied to ROTC in the Naval Academy. Uh, got denied by both. Uh, however, uh, the Naval Academy uh, gave me an appointment to the prep school. So I went to the prep school for uh, about 10 months. Uh, and if you pass there, thankfully, you get to go to the Naval Academy, and that's what happened. Um, and after a couple years there, I decided I wanted to be a, a Navy SEAL uh, and uh, tried out and made it uh, and did the Navy SEAL thing for about seven years. And not just the Navy SEAL thing. You got through BUDS on the first try, right? Yeah, that was one of my goals was to get through... Uh, buds on the first try, not really knowing a lot about it and what uh, what it would take. Uh, I actually showed up to buds uh, pretty out of shape, so I was I was concerned with whether or not I would actually make it in the first uh, first try. But uh, you know, you find out uh, uh, how to get through it uh, using you know more mental tricks than anything else. So, so what was the most challenging part of buds? Ah, uh, the the hardest part was. Um, the the mental blocks that you create for yourself everybody thinks that hell week is like the the pinnacle of, of buds and it's usually i think for us it was the third week or fourth week of training and um you know for anybody that doesn't know hell week is you wake up sunday morning and you and you don't sleep until friday afternoon depending upon how well your boat boat crew does you might get some sleep in there but uh our boat crew we never got any sleep so uh it was it was a long period without sleep and you think that's the, the pinnacle of the training, um, but once you get through that, you find out that there's a pool comp and all these other things that go on that uh, are just as uh, uh, physically straining, but more mentally cha challenging because you're, you're starting to add in a lot more of the water component. Hmm. I've heard that a lot, that it's the mental component that's the worst part of, of that, and that's a lot of the schools in the military. Yeah. It's just like kind of trying to outlast everybody and, and the program. So. Yep. So what made you, uh, well, let me back up. After you went through BUDS, um, how long were you a SEAL? I did, uh, I did it until about 2003. So including the training time, about seven years. Okay. And then what made you call it quits then? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting story because uh, uh, most of my time was before 9-11. So it was, as, an, as a SEAL, you were only operational for a few years as a lieutenant, and then you went to uh, sit behind a desk as the OPSO or, uh, you know, other, other desk jobs. And so I'd kind of already put it in my mind that that was it, uh, that I was going to uh, probably get out after my uh, com platoon commander tour. Um, and then uh, 
while we were deployed overseas in Okinawa, 9-11 happened. And that changed the whole the whole paradigm of how SEALs did things. And now as a, as a SEAL officer, you could deploy much, much later in your career than you could ever before. And uh, so I was, I was like, all right, this is going to be good. And then uh, I had been in, injured in a parachute accident uh, a few years earlier, as well as uh, during the, the last few months of the deployment, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And those two things kind of just, you know, kind of put a, a nail in that coffin of, of doing anything beyond that. So, so what what went through your head then when you were diagnosed with colon cancer? That's young. You're thirty. Yeah. Like, what was going through your head when that happened? Yeah, you know, it was probably uh, the same kind of mentality that got me through buds, and and what I have now is is it was it was more of like, all right, what do I got to do? And uh, when I got initially diagnosed, uh, nobody really you, you really didn't know what to do because. I was 30. I was the youngest that uh, at least the people in the Navy that I was talking to had seen in a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, so it was um, it was more of, hey, just deal with it, get through it. And uh, it, it, I didn't really let it let it bog me down because of all the other things that I'd been through in my life. This was just another challenge. And I had I had what I call cancer light, which was uh, once I had surgery, uh, I didn't have to have chemo or radiation, but I had to have uh, abdominal surgery that took out, uh, you know, about a foot of my intestines and sewed me back up and said, you know, go. So, so what was the recovery like then? I mean, if you, they're taking out a foot of your intestine, I can't imagine you're just like, you know, next day walking around. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, no, a couple, three days in the hospital, I think a week. And then, uh, but I asked them, I was like, you know, should my diet change? Should I eat anything different they're like no do whatever you want so um i did that uh and then about three four months later i had to have uh one of my ankles reconstructed because i had an injury i got an injury in a parachute jump so they had to uh essentially reconstruct the left ankle and then they did the right ankle uh, about three months after that so that whole 2003 period i was in and out of the, uh, bethesda hospital uh recovering at the pentagon so then had you made peace with like you were going to kind of be done with being a seal being in the military you yeah were yeah yeah it was it was tough but uh i one i didn't want to be a liability uh with bad ankles uh, i mean everything that i was doing it was uh, i was limited in what i could do i mean climbing up rope ladders my ankles were popping out of socket and uh, when we would do combat dives you know with the uh, uh swimming uh scuba diving uh my ankles were popping out of socket it was just it, i wasn't uh i wasn't fully there mm -hmm. and so it was i was being a liability to the the team if i had continued mm -hmm. so yeah getting out was a uh, typical transition. I didn't. Uh, I didn't plan it very well. Uh, I actually ended up selling drugs in North Philly uh, for a while. Legal drugs. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I sold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I sold. I sold uh, Viagra, Norvask, and Lipitor in North Philly. Uh, and okay. if you guys don't know, North Philly is not a very nice neighborhood. It's a place that, even as a former Navy SEAL, uh, by the time it got dark, I was out of there. Um, uh, one time, uh, it showed up at a doctor's office, and it had just been shot up by a, a gang. So, you know. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So it was a bad neighborhood, but uh, yeah, so I was selling drugs in North Philly. Okay. <laughs> I, I just like to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so then after that period, you know, I'm, I'm looking to hear about how you made it to Greencastle. Like, how did you find out about this place? Yeah, that's an interesting story. I, uh, I went from Pfizer, uh, who, by the way, has the greatest sales training program, which was what kind of set my career off. And then um, I went from there and uh, a buddy of mine from the navy had been working at a company called getwell network and they were looking for some sales guys and they were a startup and uh they had just hired this new sales manager and uh he loved everything about my resume except for the navy uh except for the pfizer part so he's like 
pointed at my resume. He's like, Joe, I love everything except for this. So I just went like this. I went, okay. <laughs> Don't worry about that. And, and he liked that, you know. And so he hired me. Uh, and uh, I ended up selling uh, software systems to hospitals uh, for a few years. And when I was doing that, um, hold on, I'm getting a little thirsty. <laughs> If the, the listeners don't, can't see this, um, he's just, I'm assuming that that's not Woodford. <laughs> Good. Um, save a little for later. So I was selling software systems and uh, oh, burns a little bit. Um, and is I that just, really I just, Woodford? yes, of course it is. <laughs> and so I just sold the largest software system in the, in the company's system at the time, history at the time. And um, uh, the implementation was going to shit, right? And Steve Hess, who was the CIO, uh, was like, don't worry about it, y'all bring in my military guys and, and they'll figure it out. And I'm like, military guys, I'm military, you know. Mm -hmm. And in walked these two Greencastle uh, consultants, you know, just perfect you know specimens of consultants you know perfectly built perfect suits perfect everything and walk in and they just start they start just creating structure from the chaos that existed and uh, i was like i got to know these guys and that was probably uh late 2008 early 2009 and so uh not knowing anything about them i got on the on the interwebs and uh they had a, a crappy little website and uh uh but i got the address and so i got in my suit and i, I drove up here to malvern which was about an hour drive from my house on a Friday afternoon and um, uh, knocked on the door and you guys don't know at the old office it was it was a little bit uh, more uh, it was a little tighter quarters mm -hmm. and uh, thank goodness it was a GAC day so everybody was there and uh, ran into uh, Selwyn and Hamish and I think uh, Jake was there as well and I was like I want to interview interview for a job and they're like okay just they didn't know what to do with me because nobody's ever just walked in and so they're like we'll sit here we'll get to you in a second and then over the course of the next couple hours, they gave me a practical exercise. I went and had lunch with the, uh, some of the guys and um, they didn't have a job. So it was, I, I went through the whole process and they're like, we, well, we just, we got to put you on hold. And so for three years, we went back and forth. I would be ready to jump uh, from a job uh, and they didn't have a spot. And so finally, uh, Selwyn called me, actually Hamish called me and said, uh, uh, we have a, we want to bring you on board as a director of client engagement services, uh, you know, to run the sales and marketing stuff. And so it was perfect timing, uh, but that had taken about three years. So 2012, I got hired here. Okay. Wow. So from there, then, then what, like, what was your career path in Greencastle? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, there were two partners at the time. It was Jake and Selwyn, Jake Kretzian and Selwyn Evans. And Selwyn was the marketing sales person, the big ideas, loved doing the, the deep dive research into uh, the diffusion of innovation and good to great and all that kind of stuff. And Jake was the, the business side. He would handle all the accounting and all that kind of stuff. And um, the ultimate goal was for me to, to come in and help sell in, uh, with uh, the sales and marketing stuff. And, uh, and then there would be three partners. Um, and what happened, unfortunately, was in 2015, Jake passed away. He, uh, he got uh, esophageal cancer and uh, within like six weeks, he, he passed away. And so then for a while there, it was just Selwyn as the partner and he'd taken on Jake's duties. And um, uh, the, my, I guess my path got accelerated a little bit because Selwyn wanted some help. And uh, after about doing it for 20 years, uh, Selwyn wanted to, uh, to retire. Um, and I was the, the heir apparent. So we started the process of me buying the company from him. So why did you think it was a good decision to buy the company at the time? I saw the potential. Um, 
I'm part of a business group of CEOs, and it's a it's a group that um, that you you bring the idea or you're, you're having challenges as a leader of a company, and they we talk it out and they give you their their opinion. And I uh, I presented the option of buying Greencastle and gave them all the all the the stuff and the price and everything. And they <laughs> out of the eighteen of them, all the eighteen of them told me not to do it. Um, but I I knew uh, that uh, the what Selwyn and everybody else had built uh, had so much potential that um, uh, you know when it was time for me to run it that uh, I could make a few tweaks and just it would be off and off to the races and so that's what happened in uh, 2019 October we did the uh, the transfer of ownership I had a eight hour uh, class on how to run Greencastle and then the next day Selwyn was uh, on vacation and I didn't see him or talk to him for about three months. What a start that was. <laughs> yes, it was. It was uh, definitely uh, uh, trial by fire. But yeah. it worked. I mean, it worked. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, there was no period at a uh, point in time where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Or I mean, someone was always there to answer my questions. It was just, uh, uh, if I didn't make it my own, it would have always been like, someone help me out. Mm -hmm. And he would never would have been able to get out of it if he didn't really want to. Yeah. So since then, what have you identified as the biggest challenge of being a CEO and owning a business? It's, it's, it always comes down to about 80% of the problems or 20% of the issues, and it's always people. And it, not, not saying people are the issues, but um, everything we talk about, I mean, you know, being part of the SLT, uh, everything we talk about is about people, mostly because that's our product, but also because uh, everything revolves around that. And we, we obviously are a very uh, short-tenured company because we've hired so many people in the last couple of years that... Uh, uh, we only have maybe half the company that's been here over two years um, and then uh, just certifications and that kind of stuff and so uh, that's that's always the the issue is is finding the right person for the right seat mm -hmm. and then what's the most rewarding part getting the right person in the right seat because what I and I learned this is a seal is it was very it was very rewarding to tell somebody here's your left and right limits and here's the goal and go and uh, there were many times as a SEAL platoon commander, I'd be like, all right, Petty Officer so-and-so, here's your left and right limits, here's the objective. I don't really want to know how you get there, just go. And then when they accomplished their goal, uh, I would be like, how'd you do it? And they'd be like, yeah, you don't want to know, Mr. Cran. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I learned the lesson of uh, hire the right people, uh, give, them, uh, give them the opportunity to excel, show them what right looks like. Uh, but most importantly, hire people that are smarter than me because uh, as just as Greencastle has evolved, my, my role has evolved from uh, being kind of a jack of all trades. And now uh, everything as you grow as a company gets specialized. Mm -hmm. You're you know taking over the, the sales and marketing stuff. Uh, Adam and Jer are taking over the different kinds of clients we have. Uh, Eric is taking over all the financial stuff. But as we continue to grow, it'll go from Eric needing now needing a controller and now needing a, an AP person. And, and you just get more and more specialized as you grow. Mm -hmm. So that's the... That's the biggest realization realization I think I've come to recently. So is that, I was going to ask you what um, advice you would give to somebody who wants to be a CEO or own a business. Would that be part of it or is there something else? I, I would say you have to be um, very comfortable with Im ambiguity. Uh, not knowing what the, you know, I, like a couple Fridays ago, I wouldn't have expected Eric to call me and tell me somebody fell through the roof. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
Uh, and, 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 You're and okay, it, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it's also the very same uh, situations I ran into as a as a uh, SEAL platoon commander or as a, a class leader of, of uh, my buds class. Is I'd come in on Monday morning and the instructors would be like, "Well, why was Petty Officer so and so on top of the barracks?" I don't know. But you know what? I'm going to go get wet <laughs> until we figure it out. So um, it it is very much a. Uh, I, I adopt very much a servant leadership kind of approach where it's it's not necessarily about me uh, or uh, my success because that that will come from everybody else being successful and that's kind of how we treat it with our clients too. It's not about Greencastle's success; it's about Exelon's or PPL's or American Water or whoever's uh, success, and that will lead to our success. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, we definitely just we want to make it about them and not us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one of our values, that servant leadership. So yep. we, we have that instilled in everybody that works here. You know, yeah. it's important. So before we wrap up, I want to get to two fun facts you told me. Okay. I'm looking to hear a little bit more about these. So, All right, hold on. Um, <laughs> that can't be, that has to be something else. He's chugging from a bottle of Woodford. If you're listening, you'll have to look at the video. <laughs> it's either it's Saturday night in the teams. Or... <laughs> All right, what's your question? So you grew up riding horses on the <laughs> yeah, that one got me, that one here on the Ponderosa Ranch from Bonanza. Yep. Tell us about that. Like yeah. How. So I grew up in Incline Village, Nevada, and uh, very small town of permanent residents. I think like twenty five hundred permanent residents. But where I grew up across the freeway was uh, the actual uh, ranch where they filmed part of the show. And they had stables there, and uh, I befriended a, a kid whose family ran the stables. And uh, for about a year, year and a half, we would just go ride horses, and it was just a, a great time. I mean, it was, it was. We were think of uh, think of the equivalent of uh, kids on motorbikes, you know. Mm -hmm. Except these things, you know, would kick you and 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 do do their own thing. But it was a lot of fun. You you learned how to deal with big animals, and it was just a. Uh, very interesting to be able to ride around the mountains of, of Tahoe uh, on horses. So what was your horse's name? I didn't, I didn't use the same one every time. No. no. <laughs> okay. No. The interesting story to that, though, is after they left, another family came in and started running it. And uh, uh, our cats had become accustomed to riding the horses themselves. So we had a cat named Killer. Who your would, cats. Oh, okay. Yeah. I <laughs> we had a cat named <laughs> Killer that, that would go and just sit on the horses' backs as they walked around. And, and so uh, the new owner didn't appreciate it, so he would shoot the cats. So. <laughs> but we had 12, so, you know, one. That's <laughs> <laughs> a drop in the bucket, right? You know. <laughs> okay, wow, I was not expecting that. Like I said, <laughs> like an onion. <laughs> My siblings are probably like, yeah, I remember killing Spotty and Charlie. Rest in peace, Sam. <laughs> yeah, they're all dead now. <laughs> um, and then the other fun fact, you said you used to go swimming in Lake Tahoe yep. all year round. Yeah. So my buddy and I, uh, we would have comp every. There was peers that would go out into the water, and in the wintertime they would be covered in ice, and we'd have competitions to see who could get to the end of the pier and back uh, without falling in. And we always fell in. And then we would uh, sometimes go swim in, uh, take canoes out. Uh, but uh, you, you didn't know what hypothermia was when you're eight, ten, fifteen years old. Uh, but I think that was probably one of the things that helped me get through uh, SEAL training because, as much as they tried, uh, they couldn't. I, I would never. I never uh, got hypothermic in SEAL, SEAL training, um, and I mean, they had this place called the Steel Pier, uh, which is a metal pier, and they would, uh, one night, I remember they put, it was a cold night, uh, and they would put ice down, and then they put, you know, these big military fans, you guys, you're familiar with them, they put like four of them, and they put me on the ice, and I was, I was doing the fish, where the fuck 
don't have my fits on the ice, but still, I never got hypothermic. But I think it was because as a very young age, I was always swimming in the lake. And the lake in the summertime only got to in the 60s. So it was it was pretty cold in the winter. I was in the 40s, wow. I think. And that's probably where your love of swimming started, yeah. I guess? Is yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. But the opposite side of that, too, is, is if they ever wanted me to quit buds, all they would have had to do is put me in heat greater than 85 degrees, and I would have <laughs> fucking I would have been out. So not a fan of heat. You're not no. moving to like the no. South anytime no. soon. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, let's leave the audience with one leadership lesson. I would say uh, the biggest leadership lesson that I've learned throughout my career is don't confuse effort with performance. So uh, I don't necessarily, uh, if, I, if I give somebody a task or somebody gives me a task, it's not about the activity that gets to the end result. It's the, about the end result. And so, uh, and that's how it is with our clients. So you don't, they don't care about how the sausage is made. They just want the sausage. And so, uh, in buds, it was very apparent that uh, you know every, a lot of a lot of folks were very um, uh, you know focused on the effort, but not on getting to the actual result. And the same sort of thing happens in the civilian community a lot. Is people are very focused on the activity. Look how busy I am, mm -hmm. but they never produce anything worthwhile. And and that's a, that's a problem. That's a great lesson. I like that. Cool. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, no, thanks for interviewing me. Yeah, and yeah. please like and subscribe to our channel. We really appreciate it. it. Helps the business, helps the podcast. You know, we love seeing all the comments and activity. So please keep it up. And Joe, we'll have to have you back. And maybe next time you can bring another bottle for Woodford Reserve. And maybe we'll do two next time. Who knows? Maybe. All right, cool. Thanks. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.